Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus by the Spirit of God. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Okay, so we've looked at verse 1, we've looked at verse 2, so now guess what we're going to do? Verse 3, look at what it says, verse 3, just those words. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There, now you've got enough to do to keep you busy for the rest of your life, right? Just right there. Make every effort, every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Of peace. I don't know how Paul does this. He's somebody who can write sentences that can take up an entire page without a comma, because the Greek, he didn't even have commas, and he wouldn't have used them if he had them, I don't think. But he's somebody who can do that and be very eloquent and just kind of blow your mind with some things. And then sometimes he writes just a simple sentence, very few words, and it still turns out to be a life changer, and a world shaker in its words. And if we can read these words, these, this is such a simple phrase, and not feel the disruption that it's going to be to our lives, read it again. Because this is a very disruptive verse. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that if you look at the world, and I think I may have mentioned it again last week, I'm going to mention it again this week. If you look at the world around us, the vision that is from God that Paul is sharing with the church at Ephesus is a vision that is so different from everything else we see. We see what Paul says in a lot of ways about Satan's work. He talks about the prince of the air and the prince of darkness, and he talks about him ruling in the world far too often in too many hearts and too many homes and too many places. And we see that, don't we? Sometimes we see it come into our own home. Sometimes we see it come into our own heart. We see the influence that he has as he tries to break and destroy and kill and disrupt the kingdom of God, the work of God and the people of God and any semblance of peace. And so when Paul says, I want you to make every effort to keep the unity of the Holy Spirit, he isn't just giving you churchy, flowery, what I like to call stained glass words. It's not just a touchy-feely sort of a thing where we would say, okay, we're going we're gonna to have the unity of the Spirit. Gross. I don't even like it when preachers talk like that. Uh, you know, it just it's not this ushy-gushy thing. When he says, I want you to keep the unity of the Spirit, there are a couple of things we need to get. One, it is more than just a fact. Okay? When we become Christians, we are told that we are baptized into Christ, raised with Christ, clothed with Christ. But it's not just all about Christ. We are also taught in Scripture that we enter into the body of Christ. There is a way in which unity exists simply by the fact that you are a Christian, if you are a Christian. That if you have been baptized into Christ, you are one with every other Christian on this planet Past, present, future. 
and that unity is real, and that unity cannot be broken, you may decide to leave the Lord and break unity with God's one body, but his body is one, period, and it is a fact. Now, you drive through town, and you might not think so. Any town, pick a town. Because we have so much evidence stacked against us that we are one when you look with the, just the physical eye. It's a good thing we walk by faith and not by sight. But that doesn't get us off the hook. When you look around, you see so much division. There are people who, who cannot get along for things as silly as, and I, you know we use these examples and have for years, they come from real stories, okay, nobody's making them up, as silly as chairs versus pews, Red carpet, blue carpet. Sorry, I was I was raised in the church in the 70s. We had red carpet back then a lot, right? And that wasn't the 1870s, although there was about a 100-year run of red carpet. We used to rent a Presbyterian building when we were in New York for the church uh, for our worship services, and it still had the, I think it might have been original. They had built that building in the 1850s, and I think this red carpet, as flat as it was, might have been 1850s red carpet. Anyway, uh, all the rest of the furniture was still from the 1850s, so I think the carpet might have been too. It was worn flat. Uh, anyway, people have argued over those things and silly stuff, like just dumb, petty stuff. People have argued over things that were not silly, that are not petty. Matters of right and wrong, matters of moral and immoral, matters of pleasing God and displeasing God, listening to God and not listening to God, whether or not it even matters whether or not we listen to God. I'd never quite understood why you bother to meet together on a Sunday together and encourage each other not to listen, but people do it. People do it. Division is obvious. Division is real. And it's wrong. Because the command here is keep the unity of the Holy Spirit. You hold on to it with all of your might. You hold on to it with all of your fortitude. You do not let anyone come between you and not just God. You don't let anyone come between you and the people of God. And let me ask you, honest question, search your heart. Who's come between you and God? Who has come between you at times between you and the people of God? Well, I would go to church, but so-and-so once said to me. Well, I would praise the Lord, but then I, I got this person over here that makes that hard. Every answer to that question is somebody you've let come between you and God. And what does Paul say? You don't let anybody. And every person that would fill that blank has let, you've let come between you and God's people. And we write that one off. Well, as long as I'm all right with God, I don't, I don't really need God's people, except for one problem. God, the God you say you're connected to, has said that's not true. God has said, I want you together, not apart. I want you to build each other up, to encourage one another, to love one another, to serve one another. All those one another passages. He has told us, this is my will for you in Christ Jesus. Therefore, any effort to make that not matter, any excuse that says, nah, 
Anytime we let something come between us and God's people, we are ultimately, this is not a guilt trip, don't go there, but it's a reminder of how important God's people are to him. That to separate from one another, he says, is to separate from him. And again, not a guilt trip, because what God would have you do is, don't separate. He says, that's going to take some work. That's verse 2, isn't it? Humble yourselves, be gentle. I'm missing one. Patient. Oh, yeah, no wonder. Uh, <laughs> so, patient. Why is that? Why does that keep showing back up? There we are. Be patient with me now. Uh, humble, gentle, patient, and forbearing with one another in love. You know why he had those before he said keep the unity of the Holy Spirit? Because you will not be able to do this one without those. You won't be able to do this one without those. But he's also saying those four things, when they come into your life, have a purpose. And it's not just to make yourself a better person. It's to make the body one. It is so that the church is unified and whole. Now, I said we are unified whether we like it or not. There are brothers and sisters that you have that you don't think you have. And God can't wait to sit you down at a table together. You know, when I was a kid and we got in trouble, if we were fighting, specifically if we were fighting, you know what the punishment was? Sit on the stairs with your arm around each other. Y'all, y'all just pray for me because I just felt something go down my spine that was like, oh, I still don't like that. You know, mm, I don't like that. I think God may make us do that for the first five minutes of eternity. Say, listen, just that that that'll be Church of Christ purgatory. Five minutes with your arm around each other. You're going to have your arm around somebody that you didn't think was going to be there. That's what's going to happen. It's good we can laugh, but it's also true. In this sense. God is going to welcome us home with people that we didn't get along with. And then we're going to spend eternity going. Why did I hold that against you? What a waste of time that was. Thankful that it's finally made right. But what Paul is saying is, what on earth are you waiting for? Keep the unity of the Holy Spirit. Even when things are important to you, you need to understand, even when there is a doctrinal thing or a belief thing or a moral thing that's really important to you, and there should be things important to you, there should be things you're willing to stand up for, argue for, and and even... Tense debates for at times. You stand up for what's right. But with still humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, so that when you have to handle those things and you have the hard conversations, at the end of the conversation, even if you still don't agree, you are still what? One. Well, we don't agree on this, but we agree on Jesus. We don't agree on this, but we're going to keep studying and we're going to keep praying. We don't agree on this, but I still love you. I still want what's best for you. And we're still brothers and sisters. This is what Paul wants them to see, because this is one of the most powerful things the kingdom has that Satan is afraid of. And it all starts... Back where we started last week, looking at those individual things, humility, gentleness, and patience. It starts right here with us. I mentioned last week, you got to look in the mirror. Same thing with unity. It's easy. I, I hear this all the time, and I often hear it from preachers who will say, 
Well, I would be unified and I would be one, but they won't agree with me. Yeah, I know. Isn't that funny? I have one friend, and he said this jokingly. If he said it seriously, there would have been a lightning bolt, and he'd have been gone, smoking hole, right in the ground. But he would joke with people. He would say, it would be easy for us to be unified. He said, you just need to agree with Jesus, and I need to agree with Jesus, except I already do. That's rough, but that's the arrogance we sometimes have, isn't it? And it, it fights unity. It creates something else entirely. So what we have to do is look at ourselves and ask, am I being humble when these conflicts arise? Am I being gentle in my response? And that can be very difficult for some people to do. It's part of wisdom and a part of the spirit gaining traction in our life. But as we try and as we grow, things do start to change within us, don't they? A lot of you have been Christians long enough that you know what I'm talking about. You know you don't react to things the same way you did when you were younger. There are things that would have made you angry that every now and then, it's really kind of a cool thing when it happens, every now and then somebody will do something that you know used to really just push your button. And they do it, and some foreign thing just took over your body, and you were patient, and you were kind, and you let it go. Strange foreign thing would be called the Holy Spirit, right? Who should not be foreign to us any longer. Because somewhere in there, He has caused you to grow, and you've gotten better, and you've gotten stronger. Okay, As we walk with Christ, that should be happening. And as those changes happen, we become a people that start to reflect what Paul is saying God wants from us. So instead, that's why so often, as you age, you start looking back at different things that in the past just mattered so much. Let's put it in a Christian context, a church context. Things that just, you thought, man, that... That's heaven or hell. And sometimes you'll look back at Scripture and go, I think I might have been overboard. I still think that, you know, I still think this is the right interpretation. Maybe, you know, depending on what it is. Still think it's the right interpretation, but my attitude sure stuck. I could have handled that better. I could have said that better. I could have helped them see it humbly instead of just, you know, banging them over the head with a Bible. Sometimes it's not actually... You know, the the belief that has to change, it's just the attitude about it. And we grow, and those changes start to happen. And, I've kind of jumped the gun on one of these, we start to change our direction as those things go. As you become a Christian, and I say as you become, because there is the becoming a Christian, where you're buried with Christ and raised with Christ, and then there is the becoming a Christian, right? There are two different things, even though I'm using the same word. One of those, if you want to get all stained glass for a second, one of those is called justification. When you become a Christian, when you put your faith in Christ, when you're buried and raised with Christ, you are justified. The blood of Christ atones you for your sin. And all of that is forgiven. And all of that is washed away. And all of that is gone. He died for you. And through faith in Him, He saves you. Justification. The next word is sanctification. Sanctification is the becoming a Christian in a way. Sanctification means to make something holy, to set it aside for a sacred purpose. And sanctification is an ongoing, constant thing. For one, you're still making mistakes. You're still imperfect. 
And God is still rooting things out. Working on you, cleansing you as you go. That's 1 John 1, 5-7, that He just continually keeps cleansing us through the blood of Christ. And we're constantly being sanctified. It's a lifelong work. God will be rooting those things out of you until the day you die or He calls you home in the sky, one or the other. Right? That's becoming a Christian. That whole direction changes. Because instead of living your life for yourself, instead of it always being about you and your goals and all of those things, suddenly there are new things that have come into view. And your number one thing is, I want to be with Jesus. I'm going to follow Him. I'm going to do what He does and say what He says and serve as He serves and love as He loves. That's walking with Christ. And your direction changes. Because Jesus doesn't go to all the places you used to go to. He doesn't do all the things that you used to do. He doesn't respond to things the way that you used to respond to things, or maybe still do. And so, every time there's one of those sanctifying moments where God says, James, and James goes, "Mm, yes, sir. You change your direction. That's also called repentance, a change of direction, right? You change your direction. Oh, I was veering off. I love what Isaiah says. Whether you uh, turn to the right or to the left, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. You start to go off this way, no, uh-uh, calls you back. You start to go this way then, uh-uh, calls you back. They, he must have had Church of Christ in mind because we always overcorrect. So anytime we go left, we suddenly go hard right. And if we go hard right, we go hard left. And we just do this back and forth pendulum swing. Whee! Whole time the Spirit is saying and the Word is saying, jump off the pendulum right here, follow Jesus, stop reacting and just start growing and following and serving and becoming more like Him. just changes your direction. And it becomes defined by who Jesus is, not by what we're for or what we're against or any of those things. Who is Jesus? Where is He going? It changes all of that. It changes our relationships, obviously, with God, but it changes our relationship with one another. Because as we become humbler, you will find that people like to be around you more. Isn't that funny how that works? As you become gentler, you will find healing in relationships. As you become more patient, as you become somebody who can put up with more because of love, you find that you don't actually even have to do as much forbearance because you find that your reactions soften. Your overreactions tone themselves down as the Spirit is causing you to grow. All because you started to follow Jesus. It changes every relationship that you've got. I mentioned earlier, it changes your attitude. It has to. Because God is going to constantly remind us that the person standing in front of us is someone He loves, who deserves His mercy, not because of anything they've done, deserves His mercy because He loves them, and therefore deserves ours. That's a hard one, isn't it? Saw a, I like goofy little videos. I saw one that was a little meme about... Uh, Christians in traffic, Robert and I, we, we talk Christians in traffic. We repent together a lot. Uh, the, this one was talking about that. He said, here's a Christian in traffic. And I'm not going to quote it or anything, just kind of a general idea. This person pulls out in front of him, cuts him off and causes all this trouble. And he says, oh, Lord, please give him a blowout and an engine failure and a blah, 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 and cause him to go over the side of the road. But, Lord, please do it safely and bless his family, you know. That's kind of the way. Okay, it's goofy, and it, 
on the one hand, you can look at that and say, well, that's hypocritical, but it's not hypocritical if it's because your conscience set in and you're going, oh, 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 I just got out of line. The voice behind him called out, this is the way walk in it. We've all had that moment of conviction, have we not? In traffic? We've all had it. If you don't think you've had it, ask your kids. They know you've had it. It changes those attitudes, though, and that's really what that's evidence of. Goofy as it is, it's evidence that you're saying, you know, I should have had a better attitude about that. Like instantly you were rebuked and you know you should have had a better attitude. Well, imagine if you bring that into far more important things. Keep the unity of the Holy Spirit. Let God dictate how you react, how you respond to things, what you look for. You know, do you come to church to be served and to be uh, very centered in what you get out of it? Or did you come for somebody else? You will find that all of your complaints go away when it's about somebody else. You only stay crabby when it's all about self. It's just the way it works. And put that into any context you want. And the same thing tends to be true. Our crabbiness comes from our selfishness. But that starts getting worked out by the Holy Spirit, and things change. And as that changes, it doesn't just change your attitude, just to sound a little corny, it then starts to change your altitude as well, because you start growing, climbing higher up that mountain. Uh, Paul puts it this way one time. He talks about uh, being uh, that God pours into us the character of Christ and that he brings us to the full measure of the character of Christ. And that's what's happening the character of Christ, the spirit of Christ, the heart of Christ is growing within you and that level is rising to a higher and higher altitude. You are getting more and more like Jesus. But all that begins inside, sometimes with a come to Jesus moment in front of the mirror where you and God have a serious talk about what you've been and how you've said and what you've done. Satan doesn't like it. What you're going to find when you do that and what you're going to find when you grow, and especially if you start to notice that you're growing, you're going to see that an attack is looming. And if it's not looming, that's because it's already slapped you one way or the other. Satan does not like it. This is why you need to go. Here's your homework. Go read Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis and look at how he talks about Satan's attacks. on It's his speculation. It's a fictional thing, but it is... Very, very uh, eye-opening to the way that Satan does indeed work. And then you'll be able to spot this as it happens more easily. Uh, but Satan is not happy when J Jesus' people are happy with each other. He isn't happy when we're one or when we're unified and when we're actually working together and serving together. He doesn't like it. He's fine with us as long as we are completely isolated from one another. And don't like each other because he knows that that hurts our effectiveness and our witness to the world. He knows that. He's not crazy. John 13, 34 and 35. What does Jesus say? Do you know? Go over there. Let's look. Y'all memorize this. John 13, 34 and 35. I hope the lack of paid is turning because y'all clicking on your phones. Y'all wear some fake nails so it'll clap, click tap on your screen so I can hear it, right? I miss those days when you heard the pages. John thirteen thirty four. <clears throat> a new command I give you, love one another. 
As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, look at the wording he uses. He says, as I have loved you. Now, we we still quote the Old Testament version of love one another as you love yourself. He raises the bar and says, no, I want you to love like me the way I do. He says this right before the cross. I want you to love people as much as I love them. And then he uses another strong word. So you must love one another. Not optional. No asterisk. You must love one another. We can make all kinds of excuses. Well, love doesn't mean that I actually have to like them. There may be a sense in which there's a little bit of truth in that, but stop giving yourself the excuse not to even care. Because that's what we really mean a lot of time when we say that. Love. With a self-sacrificing agape love. You must. One another. Why must we? Well, he said I have to. Look at verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. This is the evidence that your salvation is real. This is the evidence that the Spirit lives within you. It's not speaking in tongues or any of that. It's this. Because you can speak in tongues. And what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 13 about that? You can do that, but if you don't have love, you have zip, zilch, zero, nada, nothing. You can move mountains. You don't have love. You have nothing. You can fill a building. You have lights and sound and all that kind of stuff. You don't have love for one another. You have nothing. Worse. If we don't, the world gets nothing. Because this is our witness to the world. This is our gospel to the world. Our good news to the world. That in Christ, even a world that is bent on tearing itself apart and blowing itself up can come to love, serve, help, and heal one another. This should be our greatest witness. And to do that, you're going to have to watch your words more. You're going to have to watch your posts more. You're going to have to watch how you spend your time more. But the world changes through it. This is what Satan does. Satan divides constantly. He's trying to divide people with different wedges. Doesn't even matter. He'll use whatever he finds works. It might be false piety. It might be doctrinal dogma. Whatever it is, it might just be personal preferences and bad attitudes. He will use whatever he can to keep you from doing this. Be alert. Be aware. Anything that you feel, I feel so convicted, I've just got to speak up on this. If the result of you doing it is division, it did not come from the Spirit of God. You remember that. It came from Satan. If it causes you to to demean, if it causes you to bite and devour, if it causes you to become constantly critical, it is not from the Spirit of God. If it causes division between you and the rest of the church, Around the world. It is not from the Spirit of God. Because what's from the Spirit of God is. Keep the unity. Spirit would say. I gave you. And keep the bond of peace. 
hold on to it like it is your life. Because it is. It's going to come at you in two ways. Okay? Beware. He's going to come at you in two ways. Moral failure, which you might not think is about unity or breaking up the church, but it is. And you can understand that by this. How often do people use morality as an excuse not to come to the Lord? Well, I know Christians, but they were blah, 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 blah. Don't be their excuse. Watch out. He will use you to be somebody's excuse if you're not careful. Be very careful then not to have those failures. And the second is that division of the body of Christ. Be careful about what you're ready to argue about. Be careful what you're about to divide over. Be careful what you're about to fight over. Because who's behind dissension and factions and anger? Never the Spirit of God. All right? Last little bit. Real quick, what do we get? Americans are in the room. They always want to know what they're going to get. Here's what you get. What do we win? Here's what you win. You win over Satan. And that's really worth a lot, isn't it? Just to be able to know that Satan lost another battle. We ought to be all about celebrating that when it happens. Uh, they were talking about, Austin was talking about that at one of the baptisms the other day. Every single time. We ought to celebrate that as a victory over Satan because it is. But every time you hug and encourage a brother or sister in Christ, you know that is too. You know, every time you encourage somebody, that is a victory over Satan. Every time you hold back a complaint, victory over Satan. Every time, every time. Any division that he doesn't get, the kingdom wins. We ought to win a lot more fights. We also win because of that through unity and love for one another. Jesus says it right here, John 13, 34. We bear witness to the world around us. And even those that don't become Christians would respect us more and give us a better hearing. And thank God, even if they don't come to Christ, they will thank God. That's Matthew 5, 16. Jesus said so. Let your light so shine among men that they praise your Father who is in heaven because of the good deeds you do. We win hearts and minds to Christ, and we will win souls to Christ. You want to know how to win people? It's not through programs. It's not through any of that stuff. Programs come and go, and nothing ever changes. You know what changes things? A unified church that loves one another and builds each other up. A unified church that loves Christians beyond its own walls. That loves the church and blesses its brothers and sisters in Christ that speaks even to its enemies in gentleness, humility, patience, and a forbearance because of the love of Christ that's in them for the people even that consider themselves enemies. And then you win. Then you actually get to the point where people start coming back to Christ again. You want to see the country change? Believe more in the cross and its message and its mission than you do in donkeys and elephants. You want to see a country change? Be somebody who finds unity in Christ rather than in anger. You want to see people come to the Lord? Go be Jesus. Love them like Jesus. And love each other like Jesus. Let's stand and sing.